carb counting. It doesn't come easy and there is a lot to learn. In fact, I've been told that it takes at least a year minimum to figure out how to manage type 1 diabetes. And a big part of that is carb counting, learning from what you eat and moving forward. Welcome to Diabetech. I'm Justin. I have type 1 diabetes. And on here, I talk all things diabetes tech, news and management with educators, tech industry leaders, and those thriving with diabetes. Today, I'm speaking with my very own diabetes educator, Mary Rose DiRocco. She was there for me when I was first diagnosed and taught me almost everything I know about carb counting. Mary Rose is a certified diabetes care and education specialist based in Los Angeles. She has over 30 years of experience working with children and adults with type 1. Her and I get into the importance of carb counting for diabetes management, resources and tools to make it easier, like using Google or using your phone, and how to handle certain foods. If you never got education on carb counting or want to just refine it now, you came to the right place. New episodes of this podcast release every Monday on all podcast platforms and on YouTube in video form, so be sure to follow where you prefer. And if you're on YouTube, give this video a like. If you learn something new, it helps other people find it. Keep in mind that anything you hear on this podcast or content on any of my pages is not medical advice. Always consult with your physician before making changes to your health care. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by T1D Exchange. You can directly make an impact on diabetes healthcare, treatments, and technology by participating in the T1D Exchange registry. It starts with a simple survey about your life with T1D, and it only takes about 15 minutes. After that, you'll have a personal portal with ongoing T1D study and survey opportunities from research on technology, daily T1D management, and more. Plus, some of these studies even offer compensation. Signing up with the link in the show notes helps support my channel, and it allows me to continue putting out free content. You can sign up at T1DExchange.com org slash diabetic or click that link in today's show notes. Now for the episode. Mary Rose, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm very excited to talk to you about carb counting. Me too. This is a great topic. Very important. Yes. So let's start with the basics. What yeah. are carbs and why is carb counting so important? Okay. Carbohydrates are the foods that come that convert into energy. Okay, so they're the most healthy food on the planet. So it's fruits, vegetables, starches like whole grains, um, milk and yogurt, and sugars like honey, brown sugar, syrup, things like that. These foods, like I said, convert into energy in the body. So they all convert into glucose, they break down into glucose, and they're kind of like the fuel for our body. So they're really important. Uh, we need energy, and these are the foods that convert into energy. They're sort of like putting the gasoline in the car, and then the insulin pump is the insulin pump is kind of like the fuel pump. So it helps the glucose from the carbohydrates get into the cells of our body. So this is why carbohydrate counting is so important because you have to match the amount of insulin that you're taking with the amount of food that you're eating. And this is why carb counting is so important. Um, because if you mismatch them, you could have a high blood sugar after eating or a low blood sugar after eating. 
Yeah, right. That insulin that we don't have, the reason we're so malnourished and have no energy before we're diagnosed is because we right. aren't breaking down that those carbs into glucose, right? We're just right. kind of you're not absorbing it. You're, you're not getting that energy. Yeah, you're breaking them into glucose, but the glucose is stuck in the bloodstream. You need the pump. Yeah. That's the insulin pump is like the fuel pump, right? Exactly. So, uh, or the insulin injection is like the fuel pump that pulls the glucose out of the blood and into the cells of the body for energy to nourish you. So you're basically starving to death when you have untreated type one diabetes and no insulin in your body. And this is why you'll get so sick so fast and lose all this weight. So that is why it's so important to master this skill. And like I said to you when I first met you, it's gonna take about a year uh, or six months of you know really practicing this. Yeah, that, those were a lot of great points. And I think what you said about it taking a year at least to get this down, you are so right. At early diagnosis, it was so overwhelming. And then it, 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 only, it gets easier with practice, right? Just like anything else, the more you do it, the more you refine it, the more you journal, the better you get. It takes, yeah. it takes work, but you can get there. Yes. And I think with you, Justin, you know, you were putting your um, food into a log. We were analyzing your blood sugars. Tide Pool is really great for this. You know, you can write down what you ate on your app. Dexcom 7 even has that. And so I would encourage people do that for a week or two weeks before you see your diabetes educator so that when you sit and analyze your numbers and your data with that person, you can associate it with a meal. So we can help you go, oh, wow you know, you ate a lot of vegetables, let's learn how to count vegetables today. Or, oh, you know, you ate a lot of protein, this is how you can finesse that type of bolus. So these are the advanced type of, uh, or even basic type of counseling we can do with patients if we have the log. If we don't have a log, it's a big, huge guessing game. Yeah, as far as adjusting your insulin or your carb ratio, um, and that's another whole subject is the carb ratio, yeah. Yeah, totally. And we'll we'll get into some helpful apps. Uh, we'll also have to bring in some logging apps that you mentioned later. I want to talk about those more. Um, why are people bad at carb counting? Or why do people say they're bad at carb counting? I I don't know. I think they think it's hard, you know? And and some think they already know it. And but yet their sugars are high after they eat. So um, they're guesstimating maybe they did when they were 15 years old and now they're 35. You know, so what I tell people is every year do two weeks of carb counting. Measure everything, look everything up, write down all your favorite meals and recalibrate your eyes because you're estimating and your portions are getting bigger. And, you know, so you sort of have to recalibrate um, your guesstimator that's in your brain, right? Um, and I think this is an important thing to just recommit to every year. Just go through all your favorite foods. Most human beings eat the same 15 meals over and over and over again. So if you can go through your meals, uh, you know, look up the labels, you know, look at your apps, measure out your rice or your pasta, and just recalibrate your eyeballing. I call it eyeballing, you know, um, or guesstimating when you look at a meal. Um, and there's a few great apps that really help with visual guesstimating as well. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to get into those for sure. Yeah, something yeah. that I like to do is when, when I get a food that I haven't had before 
at home and then I look at the nutritional facts, I will measure it out that first maybe couple times I eat it to, yeah. to train my eyes for how much. I have specific glasses in my cupboard that I know how much when they're half filled, how much orange juice is in there yes. and how many carbs are in it, you know? Yes. And you were showing me like some, you have some measuring yeah. things. Right, right. So my friend um, that's a dietitian bought me these. And so it has the half a cup line on it, right? So if you want a half a cup of oatmeal, you can use this bowl or you could use a regular, you know, half a cup measuring cup and then just put it in your cereal bowl and then just kind of try to remember on your cereal bowl where it is so you don't have to measure yeah. it out every time. Some people measure it out every time, but in this bowl, you could just eat right out of it. You know, you can put your fruit in there, you can put your oatmeal in there, you can put your rice in there and just eat out of it, right? So I like these. These are great. And then when you eat when you eat rice and pasta at home, you know, measure it out on your plate, take a good look at it so that when you're at a restaurant, you're going to be so much better at guesstimating. Yes, this is a great uh, way to do it, Justin. Yeah. Yeah, I do what I can, like whatever is in my control. Right? right. So when I'm home, if I'm able to put it in a dish that I know, you know, sizing for, I will. And yes. then I do also enjoy eating foods that are just consistent so that I know the carb counts and things usually work out. Not always. Um, now, what about people who I've met people with diabetes that say, I'm going to bolus two units for this. And it's so funny because I've never thought about it like that because you trained me to think in carbs, not in units. Units are just part of the equation. When I was MDI, mm -hmm. there was an equation to do. Uh, now mm -hmm. with automated systems, it's that much easier. Are these people who are dosing two units for that, are they not on automated systems or are people on automated systems still doing that in some way? And um, yeah. I, when I get them, I try to mold them towards your way and, and it's not that they're doing it wrong. They have their carb count, but their carb count is associated with a unit of insulin. So they're eyeballing it and knowing it. So um, what I do with these people is I say, okay, uh, you're eating an apple and a sandwich. Uh, how many units would you give? And if they say three, then they're on a one to 15 ratio because an apple is 15 and a sandwich is about 30, right? you know, I ask them how the size of the apple and the size of the sandwich, and I might adjust it. But that's the way that I can figure out, I can do an assessment of what they eat and how much they take. So I can figure out their three or their sevens or their fives, and I can come up with their carb ratio. And it's a nice way to teach them, you know, oh, okay, you're guesstimating, right? And, you know, or you can get a guy that says, I take three for that, you know, he weighs 250 pounds. Uh, then you know a 1 to 15 ratio is not correct for a 250-pound type 1 man, right? Mm. So, um, you know, we may need to adjust it for him. Yeah, carb counting to insulin, your carb to insulin ratio, everyone's is different in some way because yes. your body acts differently, your, your shape and size is different. So that's why we, you really can't speak to someone else and, and say, Oh, let's both have two units for this. That's why it, it it's a more um, universal language to talking carbs to each other. But let alone nutritional you know, labels don't say two units of insulin. You know, they say carb right. counts, and that's right. how that. I guess that is why it's important. 
Yeah, like you just um, interviewed a patient of mine that's muscular and in great yeah. shape. Now, he might weigh 220 pounds, but it's pure muscle, so he's metabolically active. So his carb count might match up to a woman that's 150 pounds because he's so metabolically active. So he is going to use less insulin for his carbs. Whereas a person that's sedentary, maybe overweight and not in this good shape, they're going to need a lot more insulin for their carbs. So it really is important to not just get a ratio from someone that doesn't assess you as an individual. And that's why it's so important to work with a diabetes educator. And your insulin to carb ratio can change throughout your lifetime based on how metabolically active you are, what your diet is, you know, have you gained weight, lost weight, working out, that kind of thing. So it's important to see your educator, you know, a couple times a year at least, um, just to, to assess these types of things. Yeah. And aside from your body changing over time, why sometimes can you eat something one day, get the carb count down, you're good, and then tomorrow you eat the exact same thing. You may even do the exact same exercises, who knows, and then it, it's completely different. Like, What are the factors for that that can change that? So there's 42 things that change blood sugars. There's a whole <laughs> printout on it. I think I may have given it to you. We went over it yeah. in the support group. But that day you could have woken up a little more dehydrated or you've got a meeting. So you woke up and you know how your heart starts to beat. That's the adrenaline. Uh, you know, some of the performance hormones in your body could be higher some days than other days. You could have a, you know, meeting with your boss that you're stressed about these types of things. You could have worked out and done a walk in the morning versus another day you didn't. So there's so many different things um, that can affect your blood sugar. It isn't always the meal, you know, and sometimes you just wait, you have a better blood sugar in the morning. You may be able to tolerate carbohydrates better than if you were 200 all night. You may wake up a little bit more insulin resistant. So there's just so many things. Don't blame yourself if you don't get your carb count perfect or you have it a little high after um, a meal. Don't, don't panic. It's, you know, it's, it's the average that we're looking to achieve after meals, you know, and that's about, uh, at two hours after your meal to be below 180. Um, that's yeah. the general goal for most people, but you know, people like you, you probably keep it below 140 most of the time because you do such a good job. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I say diabetes is a video game. It's constant, like the levels are constantly changing. You may have yes. a bad round. You you know, you can do another round and go at it again. And you write down strat strategy. You can go online and get, you know, game facts and, and clues or, or tips, things like that. Um, it's a constantly changing game that you just have to play. And you do get better with it over time. And, and yes. one of my things, especially at early diagnosis, but... Yeah, I don't really do it anymore, but I did it a lot for my first year or two was writing down in my notes on my phone, you know, different meals. So I'd put Thai. Yes. And so every time I went to a Thai restaurant, I'd put down what I ate and the carbs. And then what I would do is that I'd, I'd evaluate how that day went. And then by the end of the day, I would go back into the notes and adjust it for the next time I went and ate it. Wonderful. It, yeah, it was it was so helpful, and I have I have yeah. Greek, Chinese, Thai. You know, the hard, I have some hard ones in there that 
you can be do. very yeah, difficult. That white rice, you know, white rice. Oh. I've learned to manage it. I've learned yep. to manage it, but yep. it take it took time. It's very difficult. It's a faster acting carb. Yeah. So um, writing down that thing on your notes page, I tell everybody, you know, and just for basic carb counters, just put your basic three or four breakfasts and count them out, put the totals right next to it and then try to just eat those. And then once you get comfortable, then add another breakfast, you know, just go nice and slow, go easy with this and then write down all your favorite meals and keep them on your notes page. And then you got it. And then, you know, for people that have really good photographic memories, you'll memorize it. You know, people ask me, how many carbs are in a sweet tin? Like I have it right there because I've been doing this for so long, you know, and I've looked it up so many times. <laughs> you start to memorize yeah. and, and it becomes a skill that you just have. And um, it's I think it's the mo one of the most important skills in diabetes self-management to successful, you know, advanced insulin management. So if you're using a pump or you're using multiple daily injections and pre-meal insulin, it is the key to success is knowing the carb count, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now let's get into, I guess, different types of foods and how you could strategize for those. Let's start with high versus low glycemic index meals. For those of you who don't know what that is, certain foods uh, like orange juice have high glycemic indexes. Those will hit your blood sugar way faster. White rice. But uh, lower glycemic indexes are things like, I don't know, um, well, pizza is a low glycemic index, right? It's like an ultra low glycemic index. Because you added fat to the high glycemic white flour, right? Yeah. So you can okay. modify a glycemic index by pairing it with fiber, fat, and protein. When the gut has other food in it, uh, that high spiking uh, sugar or, or carb can't get into the bloodstream as quickly. So if you eat a, just honey all by itself, it's going to spike you. But if you put honey in your cheesecake, all the fat in the cheesecake will slow the absorption of the honey, right? So um, high glycemic carbs, if you eat them like your orange juice with a piece of white bread toast, you better give your insulin 20 to 30 minutes before you eat that, right? But if you eat your toast with a piece of cheese and some eggs on it, then you can probably give it about 10 to 15 minutes before, or maybe even right before if your blood sugar is good, mm -hmm. right? So, um, and this, the slower glycemic carbs are, are carbs like el dente pasta or um, quinoa, like they're, um, they're starchy carbohydrates, but they have fiber around it, brown rice, beans, Beans, sweet potatoes, sweet potatoes, you know, and always even with those pairing them with a little healthy fat to slow them down a bit and some protein and some vegetables because it's the insulin that's slow. The insulin peaks an hour after you give it, well, 30 minutes to an hour after you give it, right? So, mm -hmm. and it, you, you can see that the carbs will match up with your insulin peak better if you mix them with other things or you choose yeah. the ones that are slower absorbing okay yeah yeah that was that was such great advice about mixing your plates you can enjoy higher glycemic index foods like white rice or toast but mixing them with high protein foods that will elongate that release into the blood right. sugar stream is so right. helpful it's changed my life 
And yeah. some people I don't think know that and yeah, they'll and they eat something and be like, it, yeah, they mm -hmm. blame themselves, but it's not their fault. It's the insulin that's slow and you're, mm -hmm. and you're, you don't just don't know to match your insulin, to your carbs. And a lot of people don't yeah. give their insulin, Justin, until after they've eaten and seen the blood sugar go up because they're so afraid of going low. So if you can explain to them, no, don't worry. Your insulin's really not going to peak for quite a long time. You're okay, you know, and these are the types of foods that you need to pre-bolus for. And these are the other ones that you can just bolus maybe 10 to 15 minutes before, you know. Or if you're starting the meal off at 85, you can bolus right when you take the first bite. But some people, oh, they're 85. They just don't even bolus at all. You know, you do need to bolus. That food's going to make your blood sugar go up. So you just bolus right when you take the first bite. A quick word from today's sponsor, Omnipod. When I was first diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, one of my biggest fears was wearing an insulin pump and what that would look like. My fears were totally diminished once I started wearing Omnipod. Omnipod is a tubeless insulin pump that could be worn almost anywhere you'd give yourself an injection. What I love most is that I forget I'm wearing it. I never have to worry about disconnecting it for showers or swimming, and when I play kickball or go running, it's super secure. Even better, with Omnipod 5, you get automated insulin delivery by connecting it to a CGM. Omnipod 5 uses CGM trend and value to predict your glucose 60 minutes into the future and makes adjustments to your insulin delivery. If you want to try out Omnipod 5 yourself, you may be eligible for a trial. To check your eligibility and for full safety information and instructions for use, visit omnipod.com diabetic or click the link in today's show notes. All right, back to the show. You know, what are your thoughts on this? I log everything, including my low snacks. So, you know, I put in some carbs and I may have overestimated. So my, you know, my CGM goes off. There's an alert. I have low blood sugar. I go get a 13 gram of carbs glass of orange juice. I, I personally log that. I want my system to know that I'm adding in carbs that are high wow. glycemic, is that, what are your thoughts on that? Okay. It works for me, but I can see how it can have issues. Okay, you are in a very sophisticated device. Loop okay. knows to wait, but other people's pumps don't do that. Okay. So uh, if they put their carbs in on tandem pump, uh, there's no way to just log it and not bolus, <laughs> right? So on loop, you certainly can do what you do, and it's smart you know, to just put them in and enter the, the carb, but it you don't bolus. Um, and then it'll sit and wait for your blood sugar to go up um, and and give you a little insulin. So I, I don't, you know, most people aren't on the loop like you are, the DIY loop like mm -hmm. you are. But if you are on DIY loop, you can't do that. But otherwise, when you're okay. low and you eat your carbs to treat your low, you do not bolus for the rapid acting carbs. Now, if you have a big snack afterwards, you may need to bolus for that, okay? Most likely you will. If you have a small snack after a low, you usually don't have to. You usually can get away with 10 to 15 grams of a snack after a low without having to bolus for it. And mm -hmm. we recommend a, okay. a complex carb, you know, a, a slower acting carb with some protein. So okay. that's the general yep. recommendation. Okay, this is a listener question. I actually got two of these. What are your thoughts on fiber, the, the net carbs of foods? How should people go about carb counting there? Should they take fiber so the, into account? 
Yeah, so it's been very strange with this whole rule, you know. So there has to be at least five grams of fiber per serving for you to use this rule, right? So um, you can you can subtract half of the grams of fiber from the total carb count if the food has over five grams okay. of fiber wow. per serving. So this is not something you're going to use much. Mm -hmm. um, that's the general rule. It, we sort of threw that rule away for a while and now it's back. So, you know, uh, I personally like to keep carb counting real simple and estimating real simple um, and just, you know, not bother people in the beginning with that type of specific stuff because it doesn't okay. matter that much. Yeah. And yeah, carb counting is really estimating. So um, I wouldn't, car right away, I wouldn't count um, non-starchy um, vegetables. I wouldn't count them at all. Just eat them and eat your proteins and your peanut butter and your cheese and olive oil and things like that, avocados, and do not bolus for them. Now, um, maybe as time if, goes on, you and your educator yeah. might see, oh, you're on a very high protein, high fat diet, low carb, kind of like you eat, Justin, then I might teach you some sophisticated type bolusing. But most people don't eat that way. And your educator can do a dietary assessment first, but I think what we're going to do, no matter what, with people in their first six months to a year is give them real basic carb counting, just real basic, okay. not to overwhelm them. You know, I would say like a fruit that's the size of a tennis ball is 15. This is about a cup of pasta or rice, like your fist. And Mary Rose is holding up her fist, yeah. <laughs> a baked potato is about the size of a you know, computer mouse is about 30. You know, just like just talking about these types of things. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Even people that have had diabetes 20, 30 years, nobody talks to them about carb counting. You know, mm -mm. they just assume they know it, but they don't what, always. Did, was carb counting always a thing or is that like a newer way of tracking yeah. insulin? It's, it's always been a thing. We used to talk about mm. exchanges before and we'd say, how many exchanges a person could have, and we would give them a basic dose of insulin, um, and then but then they were limited, you know. So this, but this was back in the eighties and seventies, you know. Um, but then they were limited; they could only have three carbs at lunch and five carbs at dinner, you know, and that was a basic dose of exchange. But the exchange was fifteen grams. So when I teach okay. people carb counting, I teach it it's fifteen gram increments, right? Okay. So um, that's how we teach it. It's been counting grams for maybe 20, 30 years. Yeah. Okay. Now, <laughs> you said automated systems. They, they are great for covering you in so many ways. But the one area where I sometimes struggle, and I'm sure so many people listening struggle, is these foods like pizza, these high fatty foods that, yeah, you can carb count them. You know, I use my apps, which we'll get into. A slice of pizza in New York is about 57 grams of carbs I found. Um, but you can log that 57 grams of carbs initially and that's not gonna work. <laughs> it's not gonna work or, or randomly it will. But how does <laughs> carb counting work with the foods like that? Oh, yes, high fat diets cause insulin resistance, Justin. So 
a high fat meal is going to require 20 to 50% more insulin. Oi. So what is it? 20, 50? We don't have a rule. We just don't. Um, so you do need to do this estimating that you talked about. And you may need to do a touch-up dose about two or three hours after you eat. You may need to do a touch-up dose four hours after you eat because fat lingers and causes you insulin resistance for sometimes up to eight to ten hours. It's nuts. Um, so um, you have to be prepared to give more insulin. On DIY Loop, you could put yourself on one of your custom overrides, like a 30% more or 50% more if you really went crazy. Yeah. Um, and you do need to add carbs to your total carb count. And on DIY Loop, you can choose the pizza bolus. On Tandem, you could do the, uh, there's a two-hour um, extended bolus that you could do. Maybe. How does that up. work? Can you tell me about that? Because I, I don't have experience with Tandem. Yeah. So with Tandem, and I, I think this is going to change in the next version, um, you can extend a bolus over two hours, but protein converts into And that's, that's part of the automated system, that feature? Yes, it is. Yes. Wow. Okay. Tell me more. Um, Omnicot does not have that. But honestly, no. people on automated pumps don't really use it or need it. You know, unless okay. they're eating high fat meals or high protein meals, then I'll say when you, f so bolus for your carb on tandem, but when you finish about an hour after you're done, you can give a little protein bolus that will go over the next, you know, few hours. Um, but the tricky part is protein converts into glucose about four to five, six hours after you eat it, you know, depending on the person's metabolism. Um, so that two hour one just doesn't really make much sense but it's good for higher fat higher protein meals and you can add that an extension okay. on your bolus but on a high fat meal you're still going to need to put a little extra into your carb count um, um and extend it okay. um, and you you would do it it's your pizza bolus basically you know it's telling your pump you need a little extra on the tail end yeah. Now, now this next question may be slightly off topic but i i think it's related it's all related a lot of my listeners complain of overnight lows. Mm. I personally don't have many issues with those. Um, it could also be timing of when I eat. Um, but I, you know, I, I have snacks near like within an hour or two of bed sometimes. Do you know why this could be happening as it relates to carb counting or what they could do? Yeah. To kind so of prevent overnight that? Low. Overnight lows are very serious. And so I would say to the listeners, when you have overnight lows, if it is a pattern, you need to call your healthcare provider because having a low in the middle of the night is dangerous. You're sleeping. What if you don't wake up for it? Okay. So you need to report it to your physician or your nurse practitioner or whoever, diabetes educator, whoever takes care of your insulin. So, um, but it can be caused from drinking alcohol with your meal because alcohol causes can cause nocturnal or nighttime hypoglycemia because the liver is metabolizing alcohol and it can't give you that stored glucose that the liver gives us all night to keep your blood sugar stable. Mm -hmm. So it could be that the patients, you know, drinking alcohol, if they are drinking alcohol with dinner, they may need to use their exercise profile overnight to prevent this nocturnal hypoglycemia. So they need to look back to see what happened. Um, and then they might be giving too much correction after dinner, you know, before they go to bed. Um, 
or mm-hmm. it could just be that their basal rates are overset or their uh, uh, correction factor in the middle of the night is overset. So oh, there's so many different things that could be happening here. Um, and then they so they want to look back. Did they exercise that day? Did they go for a walk after dinner? Like what's different? Um, yeah. And then their carb ratio for dinner or their bedtime snack could be overset as well. So this sounds like a patient that really needs an evaluation with Mary Rose or somebody that will really comb through the data, do a food luck for a week or two and bring it in and have somebody really comb through the data and figure out what the problem is. Yeah, I can't urge you all enough. Uh, if you haven't seen a diabetes educator in a long time and you have some things you need calibrated, you're having some issues, it is so important and powerful to go see someone at a minimum twice a year, I, I think it is a great, is it will, will help yeah, a lot. But in and, your first year, um, every month. Yeah. Oh, your first year, oh, absolutely. Yeah, at least I mean, there was a time month. I was seeing you, I was seeing you twice a week at one point because with my health insurance, diabetes education was free. So look into your health insurance plan. It could be free. And it's just like, you know, you paid your out of pocket, essentially just keep going until, you know, you're kind of feel like you're done and and trained. We're short on time. So I just want to get into this next section because it's super important. Um, We've been talking a lot about carb counting with, you know, looking at your fist and these and measuring it, but there are so many great resources that are free online applications that you introduced me to. I'll start with one and then I want to get into some that I made some other ones that you know about. I got to start with Figwee, F-I-G-W-E-E. I'll put the link to that in the description. This was the number one app that changed my life with, with with carb counting because how this app works is it has an, an incredibly large library of different foods. So you just type in orange, pecans, pasta, like al dente, like whatever, Pizza. quinoa, soup, uh, butternut squash soup, anything. <laughs> Eggplant parmesan. When, they even have literally. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, it will show you an image and then it will give you all the nutritional facts. On and on the side – on a plate. And on the side, there's a um, like a little dial. You can put it up and down and it will the picture will change. It will increase the amount of food or uh, decrease it visually. So you can see exactly how many carbs are in this amount of food. And it is so Ugh. accurate. It is amazing. And it's free. <laughs> it's free. It's free. It's my favorite too. And it has a little diary in there where you can save your fa- favorite foods too. And I, I like all the apps that have a place for a person to save all their favorites. So you don't have to keep typing it in and looking things up if you want to refresh. Yeah. And I believe, I believe for that feature, it's like $5 a month or a yearly fee. I think that's a paywall. I, I never, well, I never did it. And then I was like, I need to try this because I'm diabetic. And it was right. helpful. I think I was beyond was that at that point. But that's yeah. a that is a great feature it, yeah, for early diagnosis. Worth, yeah, investing in just for your first year. I also love the diary in my fitness pal, and my fitness pal's okay. really great for eating out. It has like almost every restaurant you can ever imagine. And then once you look something up and you say you ate it for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, it's always in your diary. So it saves up all your breakfasts, it saves up all your lunches, all your snacks. Mm. You can sit there and just put in all your favorite snacks from Trader Joe's and look them up and say you ate them one day and just create yeah. a diary. You know, that's fantastic. I and love that, that. And my Fitness Pal, that's an app I believe both on yeah. iPhone and Android. Yeah, and Figwee, 
And Figui is an app on iPhone and on Android, you can go to like figui.com. It's a web app. And so that means you can also use it on an internet browser on your phone or tablet. Right. Yeah. Um, And then the diary on MyFitnessPal is free. So you can do that. It just isn't visual, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a visual learner just like you. And I do great. You know, there's another one called snack where you can take a picture of your food. Okay. S and A Q. That's really kind of cool for people that are visuals, visual learners. Mm -hmm. I tried it out a few times and it was very accurate with pasta. You take a picture of your plate of pasta and it estimates for you. So there's so many great apps. You can just Google, you know, how many carbs are in a, you know, turkey sandwich uh, even, you know, a turkey sub from Subway, you put it, you know, and, and Google will come up with it, you know, or you can just on your phone say, Siri, how many carbs in your sweet potato like that? I Siri. was just going to say that that was such a useful tool that you told me about. You can use Siri on your iPhone. You can use Google if you're Android and you can use Amazon assistant. I'm not going to say her name. Um, and you can ask for carb counts for these yes. foods. And yes. I feel like on a basic level, it's good. Sometimes it's not so great if you say something a little more advanced, apple, orange, right. cup of right. pasta, great. Right. But also what's fantastic too is Google. You can Google a large Frappuccino at Starbucks and it will come up. A large fries yeah. at McDonald's pops right up. There's even like an ingrained kind of web app that pops up. Google has built a nutritional kind of section to their website where they make it so easy. It's incredible. Yeah. And and people don't know about it. Like if they were diagnosed with diabetes 30 years ago, all we had was little calorie king books and we looked everything up. They just don't know about it. That's why you're getting that word out. Any kind of things you could do on how you carb count really helps people because it's just so much easier to get that total carb count than it was 20 or 30 years ago. It's effortless. Yeah. I tell people, put it on your phone. Put it on your kid's front phone. Put it on your best friend's phone. If you're driving up to a drive-through somewhere, your family could be looking up the total carbs for what you're yeah. going to eat, or if you're going to a restaurant. So ask for help with this too. This is not an easy thing to always be getting it and in looking it up and all that. So you know, whatever support you can get, take it. You know, and these apps are yeah. so great for this. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure like for everyone listening, there's been so much great information, but if you take anything out of it, y- use these tools. They'll make your life so much easier. They'll help refine your carb counting. And from there, what that will also unlock is if your other settings are incorrect, right? Yes. Because sometimes that's the issue is that you're so bad at carb counting because your basil's incorrect. These other insulin settings are not right. So no matter how much you carb count correctly, you won't get it down. Tell me a little bit about that. What do you think about it? Justin, if your listeners just heard what you said and they start getting their carb count right and they go low, it's because their provider has been, you know, making their carb um, ratio more aggressive because of their inadequate carb counting. So then when they get it right, they overdose. If this happens, you let your provider know right away because your carb ratio needs to be adjusted because you weren't counting your carbs correctly. And this is a huge case. And sometimes I'll go through carb counting with a person that's been kind of guesstimating for years 
And um, we'll see, wow, this is off for your weight. You know, you're on a carb ratio of five and you weigh 120 pounds. So your doctor has been yeah. adjusting instead of adjusting you and your carb counting guesstimates, they've been adjusting the insulin. So once you read a label, ooh, then you're going to get an overdose. So that might be um, something that they'll need to do is to um, change the carb ratio in their pump if they start carb counting correctly. Yeah. I still have a bunch of questions, but we're not going to have time for them. So that makes me think we should definitely do a part two to this because something we need to spend a lot of time on, I think, in that episode is how to use CGM data to refine how you're carb counting for foods. I think that that's one big topic that we can talk about. Yeah. And I think for you being on loop, you can use Tidepool. That's a really nice way to log your food. And it's right there with the CGM data. Or if you're on Dexcom G7, uh, you can log your food on that and look at, look at it with your CGM. So maybe your listeners could start doing that and encourage them to start logging. And then we can go over how to do this. And they can, after that episode, take a look at their data with their food logs. That is such a great note. Yeah. And even not on G7, I believe there are other apps that can take in that data and you can log because I don't the G6, you can't log food, right? You can't um, on Libre. You can. Okay. Libre, um, and, you can. Yes. Yeah. And that now okay. on the new. So when um, when Omnipod 5 comes out, uh, they will also have the um, food log in it. Yes. Which will be oh, great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I'm just hoping it shows up on the reports. So we'll mm -hmm. see. I'm very excited about Omnipod 5 going to the, the app on the phone. That's yeah. really Okay. Yeah. Great. That, so everyone has homework. Start logging yeah, yeah. your foods in whether Make it's it the Dexcom you know? G7 app, the Libre app. There's, there's, yeah. I believe, Gluco. There's, there's a few apps out there. And I'll, I'll put a, a couple of resources for those apps in the description so you can start doing that. Mary Rose and I will come back together. Maybe, it, maybe that episode will even air after this. That would be great timing. Yeah. Um, we'll come back together. We'll take a look at a chart. Um, and we'll, we'll go over That'd kind of great. how to, how to take, um, yeah. this information and, yeah, and, putting, and learn putting from the it. Notes in the tide pool app is really nice. That yeah. that's really great too. A lot of people like my sugar. There's so many great apps out there for yeah. CGM and logging okay. food. And yeah, it's just, you need somebody to review it with Why log. If nobody's really looking at your logs, I mean, you need to yeah. look at it with somebody, you know, so yeah. it really helps. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Great. Well, Mary Rose, thank you so yeah. much for coming on. I'm excited to have you on again to get into oh, all that. It's great to be here, Justin. I love talking about this stuff. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. And thank you, Mary Rose, for coming on. I've thrown a link to those carb counting apps and websites in the show notes, as well as that T1D exchange registry truly helps support the channel when you sign up. But not only that, it helps push diabetes research and treatment forward. And sometimes you even get compensated for filling out those surveys. New episodes of this podcast release every Monday, wherever you listen on podcast platforms and on YouTube. And there's also links to my YouTube channel and social accounts in today's show notes. I'm Justin, and I'll see you next week.